This week, we are going to be in chapters 12 through 14. So if you want to get your Bible ready there, uh, chapters 12 through 14. If last week, do you remember how the series started? It was the story of the author Hosea and then his wife Gomer. And the first two weeks kind of had this, uh, this pattern of the first, first part was she, she, she left him um, and then he pursued. So there was this like pursuit. Um, and then the second week, was him purchasing her back, buying her back, restoring her back. Um, these, these final two weeks are going to carry a really similar theme to them. So last week was really, we saw a God uh, pursuing in the midst of disobedience, in the midst of idolatry, in the midst of adultery. We saw him pursuing, and this week will be much more aligned with the restoration part of it, the, the bringing back in, the restoring um, peace. And so there's still a lot of heaviness in it. There's still a little bit of like darkness that feels uh, a little bit hard to um, tackle. But that's kind of the theme if you can picture from last week to this week. Does anyone remember we talked about when we open up verses like this that are hard to read and sometimes we see God doing things that feels harsh or violent or uh, it just always doesn't always make sense. Do you guys remember I gave us kind of four four ways to uh, kind of ask ourselves, what are we seeing here? Do you remember, the, do you remember I, I described a couple different ways. Does anyone remember what those were? No, not a chance, not a chance. Okay, um, same reason I keep wearing the same pants. I have a bad memory. So uh, the first one was sometimes you just see the natural consequence of sin, right? Sin just sometimes has a natural consequence. We're not talking about punishment. We're not talking about uh, God's anger towards it. and sin. We're just saying, sometimes when you sin, there's a result, right? It does harm to yourself or to others around you. Then we see this, this picture also, sometimes we're going to read, uh, really that justice of God, that, that place where God is that ultimate judge, and there is evil in the world, and God has to defeat evil, and he doesn't like it, it's bad to him. And so sometimes we see him punish that. And prior to the cross, prior to Jesus, where he put that punishment on, um, sometimes when we open up the, to the Old Testament, we see God actually literally punishing sin. And it's confusing at times, but we have to know this is pre-cross. On this side of the cross, any of those who have put our trust in Jesus, we no longer get punished, right? So does that make sense? And then the final thing, well, the third thing, we see the sovereignty of God. We see God working and molding history. So sometimes he allows things to happen to make sure that the thing that is already at the end, the end of the story, that we get there, right? So sometimes it's preserving the line of Jesus. Sometimes it's just making sure that nations fall and others rise and that this happens the right way. We have a God who knows the beginning from the end. And he is orchestrating history. And so sometimes you go, why would you do it that way? And what he's just doing is he's making sure that, that things continue in the path they're supposed to go. And then the final one, sometimes we just get to see this beautiful, loving, gracious God who is committed to his people. And regardless of circumstance, is pursuing and is relentlessly, relentlessly pursuing in love the commitment that he has made to humanity. And so we see that. So when you crack open these hard verses, you kind of have to look through, what am I seeing here? What am I hearing there? Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Okay, a repeat because none of you remember, so there you go. Um, I'm not going to go through every verse today, and I want to be really honest with you. Um, I'm skipping a couple verses today that I don't know what to do with. I know it comes as a shock that I don't know what every verse of the Bible means on every single page, but I don't. 
and, and I ask you to read it. Uh, I ask you to read through these chapters on your own, maybe not with your kids near you. Um, there are some, there's some really confusing words in here of what seems to be what God is doing. And I, I, don't, I don't fully know how to reconcile them all. But what my hope is, is that in these next few minutes, as we cover chapters 12 through 14, is that you will get the full picture, kind of that step-back view of what is God doing and what is he shaping and what is he molding. Um, because if I, if I take it verse by verse by verse, sometimes it's, it's really hard to understand what he's fully doing. And so I'm sorry that I can't cover every verse, but I'll do my best to give us the gist of what I think God is up to. Cool? You receive my apology? You still love me? Okay. All right, let's, let's jump into it. We're uh, starting in 12.1. It says this, Ephraim feeds on the wind and pursues the east wind all day long. They multiply falsehood and violence. Remember, Ephraim is the description of Israel. Um, what he's describing here is really simple. Uh, you, 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 could, you could interpret the words, essentially, is that literally they're trying to be filled up on things that are like nothing. Like it's like trying to get filled up, to get satisfied, to get full by taking big gulps of the wind. Like it's, it's just nothing, right? And he's saying the same thing. And, so he says, and then what happens, one of the things that happens is that they, they multiply falsehood and violence because of this. It's, uh, it's not a pretty picture. This word east wind, um, this is a word, you'll see it all through the Old Testament. The prophets use it a ton. East wind, it's just like a hot dangerous, destructive wind that comes in. It's kind of like when we get those haboobs that come in. It's, it's that. Um, and so they use it as a description of sometimes of destruction. They use it as a description of, and so he's saying literally you're pursuing the very thing that is coming to destroy you. Right? That's, that's the picture he's painting here. Let's keep rolling. Remember, uh, before I read this verse, remember uh, Hosea is primarily teaching to Israel. Remember, there's two, two tribes, a northern and a southern, Israel and Judah. And so now he actually has got a little something to say to Judah. So he was like kind of fired up about Israel. He was telling them they'd done some bad. He wants, to, he wants to include Judah a little bit. So he says this, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel and in manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with him. I want to read this to you in the message. I really like how Eugene Peterson puts it. In the womb, that heel, Jacob got the best of his brother. Do you guys remember that story? <laughs> Coming out of mom, and Jacob's got a hold of his brother. Um, who knows his brother's name? Esau. Do you know what Esau means? Hairy, like monkey. Okay, so there you go. Free gift. Um, in the womb, that heel, Jacob got the best of his brother. When he grew up, he tried to get the best of God. But God would not be bested. God bested him. He brought him to his knees. Jacob wept and prayed. God found him in Bethel. Bethel was like, at that time, the kind of the religious epicenter uh, when they use that in these terms, it's, it's kind of almost saying he found him in a, in a posture of worship. Um, we, don't, we don't necessarily think that he showed up necessarily to Bethel. That's where he spoke with him. God is God of the angels' armies. God reveals. God knows. 
Um, one, of, one of the more abused verses in all of the Bible is this verse of you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And um, you, you can go back to the, to the last slide, Jason. We'll leave that up for a little bit. And, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, I, I, I don't believe in, like, karma. Um, you, you might, and we can still be friends. But I, I don't necessarily believe in that. Uh, and I don't think the, the scriptures preach to that. Um, I do think there are times where you get out what you put in. I was an athlete, and I certainly n- know that. Um, in scripture, in the Old Testament, you will see uh, the language a lot of you will be paid back for your deeds, or you will reap what you've put in. Um, here, here is the reality of the new covenant. So this is post-Jesus Christ on the cross. Here's the reality, is that um, he reaps what we sowed, and we reap what he has sowed. And, um, and, and you, you actually don't get what you deserved to get. Um, often many of us have, have reaped um, sin and idolatry, and, and yet we get paid back with righteousness. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Paul says in Galatians, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not, not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will uh, of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will reap the Spirit and everlasting life. Thus, what Paul is actually saying is that if we trust ourselves to our own righteousness, sowing to our flesh, we will reap corruption. While if we trust in Jesus alone, sowing the Spirit, we will reap everlasting life. Jesus reaped what we sowed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse himself, Galatians 3.13. That's unbelievable. The the curse that was on humanity because of our sin, Jesus took it upon himself. Like, Like God himself became cursed for our behalf. He took what we had dished out. And and it gets better. We reap what Jesus had sown. This is normally called the great exchange. Jesus, who was without sin, became sin on the behalf so that we in him might become the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.12. Jesus gave us his own righteousness. Now, that's not only it. By his wounds, we have actually been healed, 1 Peter 2.24. In him, we have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heaven, Ephesians 1.3. In him, we have health eternal life, joy, peace, provision, fellowship with God, a purpose with our lives. Yes, everything we will ever need. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? You see this picture of Jacob uh, kind of trying to uh, best God, and God is, and Jacob's essentially reaping what he is sowing. But if you know the story of Jacob as well, God never leaves you the way you showed up. You know, Jacob, he at one point is on his way back after running away from his family because he has swindled his family. That's actually Jacob's name. Did you guys know that the name Jacob literally means deceiver or manipulator? And so he's deceived his family. He's deceived his parents out of, out of Esau's birthright, and he takes off, and he, then he's got like four wives, and he gets deceived by, by a guy named Laban, and it's crazy. And he finally go, comes to himself, and he goes, all right, I'm going to come back. And on the way back, do you guys remember the story? 
This weird thing happens. It's in the Bible. I didn't write it. God did. But he actually wrestles with God. We think it's a Christophany. We think it's actually maybe Jesus Christ himself. It's weird. They call it an angel. Come on. Um, But it happens. And they wrestle. And at one point, the angel touches his hip socket. And for the rest of Jacob's life, he walks with a limp. And... um, But something happens right at the end. It says he prayed out to God. He actually prays for this blessing in the midst of it. He goes like, can you please stop? Bless me. And um, the Lord does. He blesses him and he makes him the patriarch of, of Israel. He actually changes his name Jacob to Israel. And from that point on, all of Israel will be named after him. And he will no longer be serving through his manipulation, but he will be serving through the new identity that Christ has given him. But the beauty of Christ is that you never come out the way you started. That's good news. That's good news, right? That's good news. Okay. All right, let's keep going. Um, Go back one more. No, no, you're good, you're good, you're good, sorry. The next verse that comes is, is verse 6. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. So he's, through Hosea, God is essentially saying to them, look, you're still, you're still messing up, come on, please. And so this is that wooing back. He's trying to draw them back in. He, you're going to see this little rhythm for the next couple of verses. You're going to see God trying to bring them back, and then they keep going the wrong way. Um, But this beautiful line in here, circle this. So you, by the help of your God, return. Just circle that phrase right there or underline it. This needs to not be missed. Um, That returning is that, that word for repentance. That's that turning around we talk about. It's that moving towards trusting self to trusting God. It's that, it's that movement of faith. And, and look who's behind it. So you, by the help of your God, return. Who's, who's helping them do this motion right here? It's God. He's actively involved in your faith. It, it actually says in Scripture that he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. Is that not a beautiful reality that the very turning process is also a gift from God. <laughs> it's unreal. It's phenomenal. Chew on that for a bit. All right, let's keep rolling. But then Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich, and I have found wealth for myself in all my labors. They cannot find me uh, with any iniquity or sin. That wooing in there, they're just not ready yet so he keeps going and he says hold on but uh, but but i'm the lord your god remember from the land of egypt i again will make you dwell in tents as in the days of the appointed feast he's saying i'm going to keep wooing you remember that period of exile where you wandered and you lived in tents let's bring you back there remember they, they saw that as that courtship period and he says and it was i that i spoke to the prophets i was the one who multiplied your visions and and, and through the prophets gave the parables for you to learn and to trust and to come under my word. And then keep going. 14. Ephraim has given bitter provocation, so his Lord will leave his blood guilt on him and will repay him for his disgraceful deeds. 
This is one of those moments where we see the God of justice entering in. Right? He's, he's, he's trying so deeply to woo them to him. And he's saying, but you just keep running away from me. You just keep pursuing something outside of me. You continue to break the covenant that we, that we decided upon. And, and um, there's, um, there's order. Everything must be paid for. No wickedness or betrayal can go unpaid. The wages of sin is death. In the very moment that you eat of that apple, Adam, you will die, it says. And um, the good news is that we know the reality of the end of the story. Um, he sends Jesus so that we do not pay the full penalty of what we deserve. We've already talked about that, but this is, this is what we're seeing here. Let's keep rolling. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but incurred guilt through Baal and died. There is a result of sin. There is a punishment for sin. And um, it's, it's death. E Ephraim, in this, in this uh, piece here, is not Israel. Remember how we talked about sometimes Hosea uses the word Ephraim as, as, as kind of that overarching for Israel. In this moment, he's literally talking about Ephraim is one of the tribes, and it's the most prestigious tribe, it's the biggest tribe, it's the most powerful tribe, and literally their prestige was at the top. So when they spoke, all the other tribes literally trembled because they trusted and came under whatever they were doing. And so he's saying, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted amongst all of the northern tribes, but he incurred guilt through Baal, and he died. Um, Positions of leadership do not exclude you um, from, from having to live out in integrity towards the purpose that has been put in front of you. He had a strong reputation, but his unfaithfulness to God was his ultimate downfall. Let's just keep rolling. But I am the Lord your God. He's calling him back again. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. Those are some strong words. You ready yet? Uh, I'm the only one that can save you. I'm waiting for you to realize that. Are you ready yet? I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one that can save you. There's no one else in that position besides me. Do you, do you, see, what, do you see this pattern that's going? And then, he, and then he keeps going. He says, It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of the drought, but when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their hearts was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Isn't that amazing how often that happens? I, I, I can personally say that this, this has been true of me in my life. Where, where, where I don't know how God always works, but where it's like pretty clear, obvious that the blessing has come from him like it was so out of the ordinary like I was in a barren land and manna was falling from the heaven type of deal and I grazed on it and I filled up to the point and then I almost literally forgot the giver of the gift and replaced the gift with the giver right like do you know do you know what I'm talking about have you ever experienced that it's so simple to do and God's just saying please 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 I want to um, 
I, I don't um, I don't see in the church as often. I want to try to be careful how I say this, but um, I, I long for this place to be a church that prays and worships God even in the good times, that gives him the credit even when things are going well. Uh, I think sometimes it's so easy to look inward and think that we're doing something extraordinary or that it's something about the program or the thing we're doing that is making it great. I, I want to be a church that is constantly, regardless of the season, good or bad, that we are giving praise and honor to God and we are thanking him for what he is doing amongst us. And um, I, I think it's so easy to not live in that space. Will you, will you let me just pray for that real quick? Your word says, Lord, that you are the giver of the gifts, that all good things come from you. And Lord, would you, would you put on the hearts of this community, would you have us be defined by people who call on your name, who fix our gaze on you, who, who run after you, even when our bellies are full? Lord, would you, uh, would you teach us how to do that? Would you move in our hearts that we would be a people that, that long to be with you, that know that you're the giver of gifts, that we would praise you regardless of the season, that we wouldn't just call out to you when things get hard, but that we would call out to you even in the good. Lord, I, I, I pray that prayer over this church. All right, let's keep rolling. He asks them, he says, where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? those to whom you said, give me a king and a prince. Remember, um, there were these things called judges. Samuel was the last judge, and, and all the people of Israel were like, give us a king like all the other nations. We want a king. And God goes, I'm your king. And they go, no, we want a king. And they, God goes, I'm your king. And they go, no, we like, want to, like a dude that like, sits on a chair and like, has a sword. And he's like, that's me too. But, like, and so that he gives them a king. And he goes, I don't want to give you a king. I want to be your king. But he gives them a king. And um, he's, he's now kind of saying, Where, where's your king at, right? Remember, at this point, they no longer have a king. They've been dispersed. And he's saying, come, come back to me. These, these are wooing words, even though they feel like, I told you so. They're wooing words. Listen to these words. These are unbelievable words. Verse 14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, I shall redeem them from death. Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Um, uh, most of your translations, I think ESV is one of the only ones that doesn't translate these sentences into questions. Uh, how most of your translations will read, unless you have the ESV open, most of them will say, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Question mark. Shall I redeem them from death? And then, and then it goes into the final ones. And I, I, think, um, I think that's maybe a better representation of actually what these verses are. You'll see it in a second. He really is, is questioning himself. And, and God doesn't need to question himself, but as Hosea is presenting it, he's saying, is this what I'm going to do? Or, or am I going to bring about destruction? And the, the next verses we're not going to read out loud. Um, are hard verses to read, but I want, I want to say this. Through Jesus Christ, let me read you a verse. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55. It says this, 
You can put it up. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Through Jesus Christ, we do have victory. We, uh, we see the route God chose through Christ Jesus. Praise be to Jesus, huh? So we're skipping a few. Read it on your own time. Verse, uh, we'll, we'll now enter into 14. And what you're going to see now is you're going to see uh, a shift. And I wish we could have just spent all day here. But in order to understand the beauty of these next several verses, kind of had to see the other pieces of it. So here we go. This is the good, the good stuff. Remember the story of Gomer. Remember the story of Hosea. He bought her back. He restored her. He brought her home. Right? Here we go. Buckle up. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. I love how the message puts it. O Israel, come back. Return to your God. You were down, but you're not out. Eugene Peterson's the man. Come on. And then he goes on. He says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Accept what is good, and we will pay with bowls the vows of our lips. This is actually some really beautiful language. It comes out a little, a little different, um, but I, I want to kind of explain it. Literally, that phrase, take away all inequity, and then where it says, and we will pay with bowls the vows of our lips. Listen to this, what, what this phrase really means. It means we offer the calves of our lips. The, 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 we offer the cow sacrifices of our lips. It's like a beautiful statement of this sacrificial way of, of declaring with your words before God your conviction of who he is. That sacrificing with your lips. Hebrews uh, 13, 15 says this. Um, th this might help. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Isn't that beautiful, what Hosea is saying there? What God is essentially saying through Hosea is, let's start here. On your return back, let's start with your words on your lips that are declaring what you believe to be true about me. I don't know how it all works, but I know that God's scripture says that there is something that happens in your heart and in your mouth. There's so many verses that say, um, let, me, let me read this one. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and in, as is saved. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So what we are seeing as God is reinstating his people, restoring his people, we're seeing that right here, right? We're seeing that confession of mouth and, and that belief in the heart. That's what we're seeing. It's, it's beautiful. And then they say, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses and we will say no more our God to the works of our hands. In you, the orphans find mercy. Isn't that, a, isn't that a great statement? We're no longer going to say, oh my God, to the things that we've created with our hands. 
to those idols, to those things that, that we've said, look at how great I am because of what I've built. We're no longer going to put the authority and the worship on that thing. We're no longer going to do that. And then they're convinced. Remember, they, they are scattered at this point. They are lost. They're without a king. They're without a homeland. They're without anything. They have been scattered in Samaria and Assyria and Egypt. And even in their homeland, some still remain. And they cry out to God at this point and they say, we're orphans and we know that orphans find mercy under the mighty hand of God. Isn't it beautiful? And then he says this, I will heal. I will love. For my anger has turned from them. Beautiful. Circle the word heal. Circle the word heal, underline heal. Um, this is a beautiful understanding of God and how he sees our depravity. Think about the language here. He's, he's not using the word pardon at this point. He doesn't see us as rebel criminals. He sees us as infected with a disease from Adam. And so he sees himself as the physician. That's a beautiful distinction of the way God sees the wickedness of humanity. He goes, literally, you've been infected by sin. And let me step in and be the one to heal. It's pretty cool. Um, what we're watching is uh, what salvation looks like. Talk, we, we talk in the Christian world, have you been saved? Right, we use that language. Are you saved? Are you a believer? Uh, you know, are you a Christian? We're, we're looking at the picture of how salvation takes place. It is this movement away and towards. It is this confessing with your lips and with your heart. And it is declaring that you believe that Jesus Christ and that God is who he says he is. Watch the turn immediately, boom, God goes, I'll heal you, I'll love you freely, and I'll remove my wrath from you. That's salvation. That is the beautiful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that very moment, do you see how quick the turn was? The language for the last, like, how many chapters was like, Wrath, anger, mad, bad, bad, stop being bad, I'm mad at you. And then in the moment of that turning, he goes, I love you freely. Unconditionally is what that means. I'll remove my wrath from, from you. So what he's doing is he's taking the wrath that should be yours, and where is he putting it? He's putting it on Jesus, his son. It's crazy, but that's what he does. He says in that very moment, I take all that was due to you, and I, I, I take it, and I put it on him. Unbelievable. I don't, I don't know if there's anyone listening online, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that is ready to, to do that very thing. And um, I don't know, I, I can remember when, when I believed at a young age, and I've heard stories of many of you in this room when you've chosen to believe, and you've chosen to do that very thing. And uh, in that very moment, you're, you're freed from the penalty of your sin against you. And you are righteous, and you are made whole, and you are made blameless, and you have a seat in heaven for eternity. And I, I don't know if there's anyone in this room, I don't know if there's anyone online that is ready to say, I, 
I want in. I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to accept. I'm ready to acknowledge. And, and if you are, uh, I'm, just, I, I'm literally going to do a prayer. And all you would have to do is, is like literally where you're sitting, copy the prayer. Where you're listening, copy the prayer. And in that very moment, if you truly believe this in your heart, you, you, you get to worship with us for eternity, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. So let me pray. If, if that is a position that you're in right now, you could just pray right along with me. Lord Jesus, I, I do confess that I have sinned against you. And I believe that your covering on the cross, I believe that your work on the cross was enough and that you covered me, that you took my sin and you cast them as far as the east is to the west, that you removed them from me. Lord, I believe that. I trust you, Lord. I want to spend eternity with you. And I believe you are Lord. I believe you are Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the Almighty One. And I love you. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For anyone that did that, boom, like that, that wrath moves away from you and onto Jesus, the only one that actually could have dealt with it, and you are now in. Congrats. Praise be to Jesus. Let's keep going. He says this, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. I, I want to try some of that at some point, see if it's any good. I'm like an evergreen cypress. From me comes fruit. I underlined these words within here. What he is doing in his restoration of his people um, is he is now reestablishing them. It's, it's, it's unbelievably beautiful when you look at what these words mean. And when he says, I will be like the dew, it's this reoccurring, never leaving, I will be with you always language. Blossom like the lily, this is a description of growth. Now that you've turned from self and you've turned towards me, you're going to see some maturity in you. You're going to see yourself growing. And then this word, take root, this is a word of strength. You'll be stable. You'll be, you'll be strong in what you believe. You'll have, you'll have faith in, in that. This word spread out is that actually now you have the ability to be a blessing to others. Right? Part of you being saved, part of you being restored, part of you being bought back is that now the world gets to have the love of Jesus that you have within you Reach out long arms to bless those around you. Beautiful. You actually get to be used by the God of the universe. That's pretty cool. The olive is a symbol of value. At that time, you, you have value now. Fragrance is a word for delight. Dwelt beneath my shadow, that's a word for protection. Flourish is a word for abundance. Fame is a word for your reputation. Look at this language that God is giving to his people as he restores them. He's saying, look, this is part of what comes with it. The, call it the blessing of saying, Lord, I trust you. And then he finishes. And they believe this last little section is actually a kind of a PS in Hosea's writing. They think a much of what we just read was a compilation of kind of poetic 
prophecy words. Um, but these last words, they think, are handwritten by Hosea almost as a signature, almost as a PS, almost as a, hey, here's, here's all my thoughts, but one last little thing I want to share with you. So let's read it. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright, they walk in them. But to transgressors, they stumble in them. What's beautiful about this language is that the whole time Hosea is talking to who? He's talking to Israel. And in these last words, he's saying, look, all these words that you just read, all these things that you just absorbed, they're for anyone who would read them. They're for anyone who would stumble upon them. And what, what he's saying is, look, those who are wise, they're going to they're trust in the way of God. They're going to see his justice. They're going to see his goodness. They're going to see his order. They're going to see his sovereignty. They're going to see his protection. They're going to see him moving through history, and they're going to trust in it, and they're going to find health in it. And those who don't, it's not going to go as good for them. They're going to stumble. Just a beautiful last little words is that these words that you have just read are for anyone and everyone. That's it, my friends, with Hosea for now, and uh, maybe we'll go back another time, but that is it. What a beautiful story of a God who is relentlessly pursuing all of us, not just the people of God, which we have now been grafted into, not just a story of, of a guy named Hosea and his wife, Gomer, but for all of us. And uh, I hope that you believe it. I hope that you believe it is true, that in the midst of um, your idolatry, my idolatry, that there is one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who did make a way, but that he is constantly pursuing you in love because he adores you, and regardless of your junk, he has found a way to get you home. And we believe that to be true. So let me pray for us. We're going to take some communion together, and um, I, hope, I hope these words blessed you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Hosea, who was courageous enough to declare your truth, your words. We thank you for the cross, Lord, we believe that it did restore us. We believe that it did buy us back out of slavery that we were under, the slavery of unrighteousness, the slavery of our sin, and we believe in the buying back that you did restore us, that you did make us righteous and holy and blameless and pure, that you did give us a seat in heaven, that it was that powerful enough that you brought us back into good standing with yourself. We love you, Lord. We give you this day. And we take this communion in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen.